Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of another film podcast. My name is Tierney. I'm Colin. I'm Matt. What? I did it. I did it like Jackie Brown. Oh, 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 yeah. But my my name's too short. (laughs) It would work with Tierney or Colin. Yeah, you should have done a full name. Matt Fox. Matt Matt Fox. Fox. Yeah. yeah. The other problem is that I you can't see the lean in yeah. on the podcast, obviously. So I just leaned, but you can't. Anyway, that I... when she approaches the apartment where that scene is, is like I wrote down. That's probably one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. Like all of the cuts, and then she oh, that whole sequence Jackie. is really fucking fun. I mean, yeah. we are getting ahead of ourselves only Sorry, guys. slightly. No, no, no. It's fine. Yeah, we haven't even announced what movie it is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> our rubric. We oh fuck, we're already off the outline. Oh no! Lol. Oh, as no. if we ever had an outline. <laughs> um. Although, as people who have you know seen this episode in their podcast feed are aware at this point, we are talking about Jackie Brown. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Miss Jacqueline Brown. Miss Jacqueline Brown. Uh. So this was my pick. Um. You know, as always, it was uh, a movie from a director that I like that I hadn't seen. And this one was extra fun for me because uh, almost all the other directors we've done, I think every other director we've done, there are like a couple. Like, I'm still missing one of their filmography even after our film festival. But this was literally the only Quentin Tarantino movie that I hadn't seen. So, like, this one was allowed me to, like, finally cross off that, uh, that filmography. And... Like maybe what I'm about to say is a controversial take, but I was gonna uh, just I'm gonna say, say it. oh god. <laughs> I'm gonna say it anyway. Quentin Tarantino's really good at making movies, you guys. Oh. I thought you were gonna <laughs> give your ranking. Well, I am gonna give my ranking. That's coming. <laughs> don't don't you worry. And I have uh I'm gonna get some flack for it and I I'm okay with it. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. But anyway, yeah. Uh this movie fucking rules. <laughs> I'm so, so excited that I finally got to watch one of these movies from a director that actually, like, was as good as I wanted it to be. Because all all the other ones have just been like, yeah, that was pretty good, or, eh, you know. Uh, But this movie was really good. So, um, before you guys get to say whatever you want to say, let's go ahead and get to my rankings so that you can make fun of me for that. Um, So, number one, Inglorious Bastards. Duh. Number two, Pulp Fiction. Number three, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) What are we even doing? There it is. (laughs) Um, And then to finish off, uh, I lumped Kill Bill together, um, just because I think that's how, like, Quentin likes to think of it. Oh, Um, Quentin? Quentin, my guy Quentin. Me and Quentin, we go way back. You guys not on first name basis with Quentin? Oh yeah, yeah, I've been to the new Bev. (laughs) I went to his theater that one time and he definitely wasn't there, so I can call him Quentin, it's fine. (laughs) Basically, my godfather. Um, But yeah, so I do Kill Bill at four, Jackie Brown at five, Reservoir Dogs at six, Death Proof at seven, Django at eight, and Hateful Eight at nine. And if I had to... Way low for Django. If I had to split up... Death Proof would be the last one. (laughs) <laughs> oh Other no! Other than Hateful Eight, damn. Uh, I mean, okay. So two things: if I had to split up Kill Bill, I would do Kill Bill two, then Jackie Brown, then Kill Bill one. 
would be like that wasn't in that the, order. That wasn't where we had issues. I know. I'm just saying. I wanted to get that clarification <laughs> yeah, out there. Finish and now finish we can, what you were saying. Now we can go to the other stuff. Uh, I like Django's good. I just I never really like loved Django in the way that I love a lot of his other movies. And like obviously, Hateful Eight. Like it was cool to see. I mean, we all were lucky that we lived in Chicago when like the seventy millimeter thing rolled through and music boxes bay always. Um, so it was cool to see it like that. But like, it's just not that good of a movie. Like relatively speaking, it's a play. Um, it's Reservoir yeah. Dogs, but with less like newness. Yeah, and like newness in terms of like innovation, but newness in terms yes. of like different things to see on screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Um but yeah, I like I that was me. I... <laughs> Sorry, Quinn. <laughs> um he obviously listens, so I do think to be fair, I think Death Proof gets a slight boost from me because I love Grindhouse, like the the combo of the two. Like I I was able to see that in theaters as the one-two punch with planet terror and i really loved that whole experience like seeing the two movies seeing the fake trailers in between them like just like going into the theater and just spending three hours living in this really weird like b-movie world uh was really fun and so like if i were to just and to be fair i have not rewatched death proof on its own i don't think ever like i've only ever watched it as like a, a grindhouse double feature um, so, like, if I were to just, like, watch it on its own, would it hold up as much? Maybe not. But I personally tie it so closely together with the whole Grindhouse experience. That, that was the thing it, with Rob it, Zombie, right? Well, yeah. So, um, Quentin Rob Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so Quentin Tarantino directed yeah. Death Proof. Robert Rodriguez what? directed Planet Terror. And then Rob Zombie, Edgar Wright... And at least two other oh. people directed fake trailers. What, Rob Zombies was Werewolf Women of the SS, which was hilarious. Uh, fuck. Edgar Wright's was Don't, which is also really good. Eli Roth oh. did uh, Thanksgiving, the trailer for Thanksgiving, which is really fun. And there's one other one that I can't remember. But yeah, like that whole, like you just like paid your admission to the theater, like, and then you just went in and just sat there for three hours and saw like fake trailers in between shitty movies. Not shitty, but like, you know gross b-movies um and it was just like such a cool thing sorry go ahead no 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 i mean that's all i like i i like i said to your disdain or to your disbelief like yeah it's probably crazy that i put death proof as high as i did it's in my bottom three but like the part of the experience i think like really elevates that movie for me plus like that movie similar to this one honestly and once upon a time in hollywood is like so dialogue heavy up front and then when it like finally gets to where it's going at the end it's just like a really fun ride like literally in the case of death proof it's a really fun ride for that last like 15 20 minutes um i think like everything leading up to it is not the strongest quentin tarantino stuff but like, that final sequence where they're, like, driving the car and doing all the crazy stunts and everything, and Zoe Bell is, like, flying around on the hood of the car, like, for real. All that stuff is so fun to watch. And then the end of Death Proof is dope when they're just, like, beating the shit out of Kurt Russell. So, like... Hey, I haven't seen it. What God. the fuck? 
I mean, that's on you. That movie came out in 2007. This is unbelievable. <laughs> this is unbelievable. That movie came out literally 13 years ago. I can't feel too no bad spoilers. for you. <laughs> but yeah, sorry to anyone else. Um, I will not apologize to Matt, but I do apologize to any of our listeners if I just ruined Rude death proof for you. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, co- come at me with, with all of your other hatred on my rankings. I'm ready for it. I think that's mostly fine. I just can't believe Jenga is so low. Yeah. I think Jenga is so fun, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Okay. We're here to talk about is Jackley Brown. Jackley? Jackley <laughs> <Jack> Brown. <laughs> Jacqueline Bouvier Brown. Uh, I had seen this maybe, God, at this point, maybe 10 years ago. Maybe less. Maybe 10. But I don't know if I remember catching everything the first time. And I remember definitely, like, rem- the three versions of the same event Mm -hmm. like from different angles i remember that and i remember being like whoa this is cool but i don't know if i really captured in my brain how meticulous the plan was that jackie lays out Mm -hmm. and this time around i was like god this is so cool and she's so smart uh and it's just like it's such a uh a departure from quentin tarantino's other movies because we'll talk about this more, but, like, all the violence happens basically off-screen or not in front of the camera where we see a lot of the gore. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, primarily just, like, two- to three-person scenes that just, like, lay out context and hint at what is to come and keeps doing it over and over and over again. And it's such a cool... uh, singular Tarantino experience I think uh, so much different from all of his other stuff but I think I would personally rank it because I was just thinking this morning like where would I put this um, and I think it'd probably be either four or five uh, of all of his movies because I think mine would be like Inglorious Bastards uh, Kill Bill maybe mm, that sounds fine that sounds fine <laughs> Uh, and I would do them together. Kill Bill 1 and 2 together. Uh, and honestly, it might be Jackie Brown, and then Django Unchained, and then... Uh, if Pulp Fiction doesn't make your top Pulp five... Fiction, like, that's insane. I don't care about Pulp Fiction that I don't that either. Much. I think really? I have the I think same that... exact ranking as you, Matt. Because I've I'm like always not... been like, what? Yeah. I'm not compelled by the characters of Pulp Fiction. Huh. I think it's an interesting concept, and I think it's done very well. Yeah. And it, like, obviously changed the game. But I am not... I think I've only seen it once or twice, and I'm not that compelled to watch it again uh, in the same way that I am of Inglourious Bastards or even the experience that I had with Jackie Brown this time, where I was just, like, in awe. And I think, like, I'm much more... Uh, in for characters that are written like Max Cherry in this movie than I am for characters written like Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction where it's like that uh, like underground crime world mm-hmm. and less like I don't know where it's all the protagonists are in the same underground crime world and like I like the I don't know what well, I don't even know what I'm saying <laughs> I'm just saying Pulp Fiction I don't care that much about uh, but I do love Jackie Brown a lot that's it Kill and the rankings. I don't know. The uh, hateful eight at the bottom. I didn't care about it. <laughs> uh, 
I probably have the same ranking. Um, I'd seen this before. I can't remember when. I just remember watching it in the basement of my mom's house. And uh, I don't remember a whole lot from it, which tells me it was a long time ago. But I do remember thinking, like, it for a movie that takes place, like, in the real world, it is a beautiful movie. And, like, the yeah. colors and everything. Like, the opening um, scene of her, like, on the... Oh, on, like, gang- the... What's it called? The like, moving, the gangway? Moving, at the moving walkway? Or moving... Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, sidewalk. Moving sidewalk, thank you. With all the colors and stuff is, yeah. like, one of the more memorable shots. And then you have that same shot recurring in different situations and it's like most of what I remember is just like everything is so pretty yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's like Quentin Tarantino's calmest movie it's a like, heist movie I would say and he doesn't normally yeah. do those and which is why I was like oh I dig it mm-hmm. yeah and we can talk more about Quentin I don't know. I mean, I guess we can talk about it now, or we can talk about it later. Uh, Let's jump in, I think. Well, I, like, yeah, I mean, do you want to jump into Quentin, or do you want to jump into the movie? Let's do Quentin, I guess. I don't know. Well, I was, like, I was, like, I was trying to kind of, like, wrap my brain around, like, the different parts of Quentin, and I think there's, like, it's interesting that I think you can do, like, a lot of different things, like, you who have Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, and Kill Bill, for the most part, um, all take place in quote unquote modern time, like you know, today. Like they could all mm-hmm. take place like right now. Um, obviously, there's like nonlinear structure and all that other stuff, but like for the most part, it's happening in modern day. And then all the other, like all of his more recent output is like some sort of historical thing. So you can kind of look at it that way. Um, you can also kind of look like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction were like really crime heavy whereas this is like kind of crime heavy but not necessarily and then like it goes to kill bill and then like he does his revision history like it's just it's really weird trying to like pin down his filmography it's like kind of all over the place not in the same way that like george miller's filmography is all over the place um but like in in oh Oh, go go ahead ahead. well i was just gonna say like it's 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 unique in a in a or it's it's all over the place in a very unique way, but it's still, like, very... Like, when you're watching it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is definitely Quentin Tarantino. Like, even though, like, he doesn't have, like, the same bucket that you can put all of his stuff under, or even, like, two or three buckets, they can kind of all go all over the place. Like, you're watching it, you're like, oh, this is definitely Quentin, Um, which I think is really fascinating. But, sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say that his, uh, like, through line and the thing that I think all of his movies fit into the one bucket is that he knows what audiences want to watch. And he knows that audiences like heists at a certain time. And, like, all of his movies have been, like, have tipped either a series of movies to follow or they're in the middle of a series of movies. Like, even if you look at Hateful Eight, it's a movie that is full of long takes in a time when long takes were like hot hot shit mm-hmm. and so like all mm-hmm. of his stuff is what audiences want to see i would say uh that's a good point and so yeah. like if you want to see a heist movie you want to see a heist movie done well and so it's a heist movie that's done well if you want to see I would a crime say, movie you want to see everyone get shot and everyone gets yeah. shot i would say it's also i totally agree with you i also think it's like to take it one step further, it's like what audiences don't know they want to see. Mm-hmm. 
like, I didn't know that Jackie Brown was a heist movie until I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Let's do this shit, Quentin. Like, I'm in. Um, in, like, the same way that, like, I don't think people were... I mean, I don't want to say that Pulp Fiction was the first movie that ever used, like, nonlinear storytelling. But I don't think that, like, it was... I mean, obviously, like, I was six when that movie came out. So, you know, who's to say? I, I certainly not the one to say. <laughs> so I definitely yeah. saw it in theaters. <laughs> um, but it definitely, but like, even if you, look like at you were saying, Matt, like, it definitely, it, like, changed the game. Well, yeah, like, it changed the game in that, like, that became a thing that people, like, it was just like, oh, movies can do this? Like, you can just, like, tell this movie in, like, 15 different chunks that are kind of all over the place but if you watch it all you're like oh this all comes together um in a way that i like definitely wasn't expecting that makes the audience feel smart Mm -hmm. and the audience likes to feel smart (laughs) i mean even to to put the finest point on it like inglorious bastards is just you get to watch hitler die and like that's what audiences want Mm -hmm. and like and also something that nobody expected or thought they needed yeah but like i can't think of another movie where they just kill hitler like that and that's what like caused ways when it came out of like wait you can do that (laughs) like you could just change history and it's like yeah it's a movie you can do whatever the fuck you want yeah um so i think that's like a great point to even like show that he's just like i'm gonna give you what you want and I'm going to surprise you doing it. Mm-hmm. I think Jackie Brown does it in a way where you're not entirely sure what the plan is. And they keep throwing in new elements ahead of you. And you're like, wait, I didn't, I, I don't, I didn't think that was part of the plan. And then they justify it the next scene to show why that one element that seemed out of place was in place because Jackie planned that. And like that goes from beginning to end. I was going to say, I love, like, I love the yeah, way... Th- even the cocaine in the bag of money oh, yeah. is like... <clears throat> Oh, it's not just money. It's also drugs. Like, there's things that keep getting revealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the only thing that she isn't in control of. Yeah. I did. I loved the way that, like, every single time they were, like, getting ready to, like, talk about the plot or, like, the like the, the plan, it would just, like, cut to black and then it would just move on to the next thing. And, like, each time, like you were saying, you would just get, like, a little bit more until it gets to the point where it's like, oh this is happening right now and we get to see it all these different ways. Um, like the setup for that was so fun that I think it just made the payoff that much better that you were like, okay, I, I still haven't really gotten what the plan is. So now I just get to see the plan in action and get to like, be like, Oh, okay. Now I get like all the different things that were leading up to this. Uh, yeah. God, it's that, which is, it's so fun. That whole sequence at the end, is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I also, and that's also fun. Oh, sorry. So you go. You go to you. Okay. I what just, if I go? I don't have right. anything to say. <laughs> uh, so I, I just saw, I was looking through my notes because I was like, I feel like I have something to add to that. But then I actually have something to add to what we were talking about earlier about like if you can put all of Tarantino's movies in a bucket, another bucket will be feet. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> I wrote feet. Oh. Just because I was like, there. this is the most obvious, I feel like, and the most unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, it was... The only one was, that's not unnecessary is Kill Bill. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think that's true. It's pretty egregious in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and also it's, like, even more disgusting in that one, because uh, 
Margaret Qualley is, is a hippie that doesn't wear shoes. So, like, when he zooms oh, in yeah. on her feet, you're just like, oh, I super don't want this. But, like, uh, I, I was, like, I mean, it's it's just, like, it's it's his thing now. And it's, like, not even, like, that. Like, everybody knows it. Everybody talks about it. I think Brad Pitt made fun of him for it, like, when he accepted an award yeah. last year. So, like, it's not, like, <laughs> a new thing. But I wasn't expecting it to be quite as egregious as it was in this movie. And then, sure enough, like, 15 minutes in, Bridget Fonda sits down and the camera is just like, oh, I'm going to fill the entire frame with her feet. I was like, Jesus Christ. On on Robert De Niro's glass. Yeah. And it went on for so long. So funny. It's so gratuitous. Also, I cannot figure out who Melanie was, and it makes sense because if she's a Fonda, you're like, would recognize bits of her, but I was just like, who is this girl, and why does she look so familiar? (laughs) I've only ever seen this movie, presumably, with her in it. uh, So, uh, I was actually talking to Matt and Joel about this earlier today, and I wasn't going to bring it up on the pod, but since you did, uh, sort of, Bridget Fonda just was fucking crushing it in the late 80s to like or 2001 and then she just like vanished she has not been in a single movie since 2001 but she was in like at least two movies a year for basically the entire 90s and then she was in four Is movies in Jane's 2001 daughter? and then she was just like i'm out uh she's, she's Dan- jane's jane's uh, niece. niece oh henry yeah i mean granddaughter yes yeah. okay. peter fonda's daughter yeah but i, I mean i think that might I mean that probably goes to why you haven't like you couldn't put your finger on who she was either because like most of her career was when you were probably too young to be watching a lot of the movies that she was in and then she just like hasn't really been around since then which is kind of a shame because I mean like she's good in this movie um she I'm is. not super familiar with her filmography like I was looking through it earlier today and I was like oh I've only seen a small handful of these movies but like I thought she was good in this movie um, like mm-hmm. definitely not the strongest part of this movie, but she played like that particular role, role really well, and you know really really just went for it in the whole feet department. So, you know, also good, good she was for that. <laughs> she was thirty three in this movie and looks twenty. Yeah, <laughs> wild. I was like, oh, it's so interesting that they got Bridget Fonda when she was so young, and then I like when you were talking about it today, I looked it up and I was like. Wait, what's the math on this? If she was born in the 60s. And then I was like, she's 33? Oh my god. Like, the Fonda genes are strong. (laughs) Strong in her. My god. One thing that did make me really uncomfortable about her character, and this was one thing I was going to ask you guys. Sorry, we're bouncing all over the place. It's fine. I think that yeah, at this I've point, got a lot of notes, so I'll, I'll put us back on track is, if we need to. At this is, point, we're like 23 episodes in. If people who listen haven't figured out that we don't, like, we don't really have a structure, I think that's on them. So, uh, Is she, like... Is Ordell a pedophile? If he, like... Like, because she was 14 when he first. No, you guys, I'm reading nothing. Yeah, no. When (laughs) when did she say that he met that he met her when she was 14? Well, when she's talking with Lewis and they're going through the pictures, she's like, I haven't seen you in how many years? And he and he's like, whatever it was. And then she's like, oh, wow, that's I was 14. And then 
he was like, you were 14? I would have thought you were 17. And I was like, oh. Oh, no, no. That was about this, that specific picture because it's her apartment. So she has pictures from her childhood okay. and from her adolescence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He picks up the picture and says, uh, and he, like, asks a question. And she's like, yeah, I was 14 in that. And he's like, 14? I thought, I would have thought you were 16 because of how mature she looks in okay. that picture. But that's all that they were referring to. The years thing was just the last time he was not in prison. Uh, but okay. Or yeah, I don't yeah. think Ordell knew her beyond her adult years. Because that was definitely like, like this young. is a weird edge to just like throw in and never yeah. talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I think that's why I was like, "What do you? T- what? I definitely don't remember that." So yeah. Okay, I just Matt's, that was a, Matt's right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sorry, guys. The, I, I'm gonna do a quick Bridget Fonda thing because it's not a huge talking note, but I think one of the hardest laughs I had in the entire movie is when her and Ordell are facing off about who's going to pick up the phone. Oh, my God. And then she finally does it and goes, hello, it's for you. And, like, drops the phone. I, like, screamed laughing. And it's delivered perfectly. Just picking it up, waving it across her ear, and then putting it back on the ground. I think even waving it across her ear is being generous. Like, I feel like she doesn't even get it to her ear before she's like, hello, it's for you. Like, I don't think it ever quite makes it all the way up there. Oh, I died. It was so funny. That whole, like, standoff between them. <laughs> he's just like, are you going to get that? <laughs> and they're just like, oh, so funny. Um, um, yeah. Oh, the other thing that I'll say, and I think this will be a, a nice segue if we want to start talking kind of through the movie, uh, is I think conversation is Tarantino's bread and butter. I think sure. it's like what his movies are packaged with no matter what which one reservoir dogs you remember like the conversation about pop culture uh pulp fiction you remember all the conversations about like net like zed's dead and like all these like little lines and stuff and i think jackie brown is a movie of scenes that are like the opening to inglorious bastards or the scene with like uh shoshana and hans landa where it's packed with tension and they're not talking about what the tent like what is actually going on and i think that happens with like ordell and beaumont and then i think the best case is between max and jackie on their drive home after she gets out of prison where he's like giving her the clues to so that she knows how endangered she is of like he's already put the pieces together that like ordell is killing anybody who could risk his business yeah and the amount of, like, back and forth between them as they have this conversation is, like, all the all the Tarantino goodies of just, like, they know and they're talking to each other with intention, but it's all masked in other conversation. And I think, like, this movie just does it scene after scene after scene after scene. Everyone's talking and everyone's at risk, but the only one who knows, like, what the actual game is is Jackie. And she's like moving all the pieces. God, she's she's so fucking cool. I know she really is. <laughs> I love her so much. Also, as far as like that opening, I'll like this is something that I need to make sure is recorded because I love the opening credits to this movie. Mm-hmm. It might be my favorite Tarantino opening credits. Mm-hmm. And like the first time I saw this movie, I got the soundtrack because across the hundred and tenth Street is a bop and i listen to that song constantly i listen to it all day today because it's like 
such a good song and then coupled with that just static shot of her moving with the background moving behind her is like such a reserved Tarantino it's not packed with edits it's not packed with a lot of flash it's just watching this woman go about her work day and like walk through this airport and it's so cool and Mm -hmm. it's so relaxing to add to that the soundtrack of this movie I would say is what the best if not top three best Tarantino soundtrack it's a phenomenal soundtrack from top to bottom Mm -hmm. um my I agree with everything you've both said about the opening credits. My only note is that, like, just practically speaking, she just stands on the moving sidewalk, and then as soon as she gets off it, she runs to her gate. And I was like, girl, walk down the moving sidewalk. <laughs> like, I, like, I understand that, like, it would not look as beautiful on film, but, like, that's what like you you gotta just walk like you if you like you, like that's those moving sidewalks like yeah sure like you can stand there but you're not gonna get yourself anywhere if you don't actually put some effort into it too, and so like when the when she gets off and then the camera's just like following behind her as she's like just running to her gate I was like you could have avoided this like and then you wouldn't have been at your gate all like sweaty and out of breath you could you know again sometimes I stand on the on the walkway even though I'm about to miss my flight. Well, <laughs> and I have missed flights. I was gonna say, I was like, I don't know if we want to take your opinion on this. Of, of you guys got to know that I walk the fastest I've ever walked when I'm on a moving walkway because it 100%. feels like magic. Yeah, yeah like I, a bionic woman. And I get <laughs> so pissed when people are like, just take you know, like obviously if you're on a moving sidewalk, you're supposed to stand on the right and walk on the left. And I get so fucking pissed when party, like, groups of people just stand and block the entire thing. I'm like, I am trying to fucking power walk through this shit. Like, you've got to get out of my way. And Jackie like didn't have trying. anybody in her way. She could have she could have powered walked like, and gotten to her gate with time to spare. I just, I don't understand. Anyway. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> um, uh... Yeah, uh, just a cool opening sequence. Um, and then you, you really, like, leave characters for a while in the beginning of the movie, where, like, yeah. you're hopping between stories that are currently separated, which is a very Tarantino move. Um, but uh, I... And I, we don't have to go scene by scene, because I just want to talk about Max Cherry more than anything. <laughs> I Like, I want significant time given to Max Cherry as a character... I think it's the greatest Tarantino love story, and I can't think of one that's better. And it's sad that they don't get together at the end. Yeah. Heartbreaking. I was like, oh, I forgot this is how it ended, because all I want was them to be together, because he loves her so much, and it's every scene was beautiful. Well, that like the first scene he sees her, where she he, she's literally just like walking out of jail from a distance. He can barely even... like. She's almost completely covered in shadows. Like you can barely tell that, like who she, like what she looks like. You can kind of make out, like her shape, but that's about it. And the fact that like the camera zooms in on his face, and then there's just that like really sweet music playing, and you're like, oh, BB, BB yeah. Robert Forrester, <laughs> and like, and they already establish him as somebody who's like unflappable. Yeah, and like. <clears throat> able to keep his composure no matter what like 
no matter what Ordell throws at him, he's just like, okay, and like, what's your address, and uh, and how much? That seems a little high for that. And to see him suddenly have all of the armor removed, and he's just like in awe of her and wants to spend time with her, and like, even I love the moment where she's like, uh, "You're a bail bondsman," and he's like, "Yeah." And she's like, "Can I see some ID?" And he's like, "Really?" <laughs> like, <laughs> are you? Th- but like realizing too that she's probably thinking that he could be an assassin yeah. or something and realizing like oh you're smart and like you're on to what's going on and that relationship and watching it grow and every time he sees her like at the mall when she waves to him and he catches her not expecting to see her and the way his face just lights up i just like was oh. melted every time they showed him just in love with her and like you fall in love with her the same way yeah like you just slowly realize like oh she's so fucking cool and complicated and like and gets it and, and like smart is yeah and is it going to be fucked by this situation like she's going to survive this and she's going to do it well <laughs> yeah um one other the, the scene where they're in the car like when he's driving her home and uh he's like trying to get her to get a drink with him <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she keeps asking if the bars are dark. And he's like, well, why do you want it to be dark? And she's like, because I look like I just got out of jail. <laughs> like, yeah, that was also, good. Also, <laughs> when he leaves her the voicemail and he's like, this is my telephone number. Oh. This is my work number. Let me give you my pager. I was like, oh. <laughs> I just love him so much. Oh, everything. It was like a 10 out of 10 for me. Like, maybe one... I, Definitely one of my favorite Tarantino characters, maybe in the top three. Like, just a sweet, sweet, sweet man. So good and so kind. And, like, Robert Forster is fucking dope in everything. Um, And, like, R.I.P. to Robert Forster. But, like, he's so fucking good in this movie. Like, everything that he has to do in this movie is perfect. Is, like, literally just pitch perfect. Um, and like just watching him throughout the entire thing, you're just like, yeah, give me more of this. I wish, I wish Quentin could have used you in all of his other movies. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah. And when they're talking, uh, like on their like little date later and she's like, or not even date. Cause it's her, no, maybe it is a date where she's like, like my ass got bigger and he's like, nothing wrong with that. Oh yeah. And it's so genuine and it's really like just he's not trying to like hit on her he's really trying to like be like no i think you're beautiful like mm-hmm. i think you're such an like a perfect woman and i can't believe that you don't see that it's like this just like enamored and realizing like i don't want to do this anymore because he finally found somebody to make him want to do something else yeah. and like listen to the delphonics which like that vinyl scene where she's like do you mind if i put some music on and, like, the music starts playing, and he just watches her, like, light a cigarette and smoke in her bathrobe, and he's just, like, undone by it. It's such a good scene, and I love that song so much because of how it plays in, and, like, her uh, expressing, like, I'm getting older, and, like, I really don't have a lot of options anymore, and the way he's just like, I'll help you do whatever you need to do, like, I'll, I also see that you don't deserve what's uh, could happen, so, like, loop me in and keep me part of this i just love him so much i one of my notes is 
I love Max so goddamn much. <laughs> that was the whole note. I just can't get enough. I like that he... Like, the, the whole sequence about, like, the the CDs versus vinyl. And, like, you can't get any new music on vinyl, which, LOL, like, is extra funny in 2020. Yeah, right? Everything about this movie is so dated. Yeah. Like, they're calling on cell phones. They have beepers. Yeah. He goes and buys a tape. Yeah, uh, so that was what I was going to say. Like, it's everything like, is, like, 90s. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's so aggressively 90s. <laughs> like, yeah. The scene where he leaves the movie theater, but you don't... It, like, takes a while for him to emerge, and it's just person after person from the 90s. Yeah. For a second, I was like, what am I watching? Because it looked like an infomercial. Like, everyone had the biggest shoulder pads and craziest hair and ugliest glasses. And I was like, what is this? Even yeah. the girls with chicks with guns was, like, super yeah. 90s big. Yeah. <laughs> just so aggressively 90s that you're just like, yeah. okay. So, I mean, yeah, a quick going back, I guess, like, what I was talking about, how you could, Sorry. you know, bucket, no, no, you're fine, uh, bucket Quentin's movies, and I said, like, you know, these, his first half of his filmography could all be set in present day, it's like, <laughs> no, this is definitely a relic of a different time, <laughs> like, yeah. this has retroactively become, a, you know, one of his historical pieces. <laughs> <laughs> it's a period piece. <laughs> Even airlines, yeah. nothing's the same. Oh yeah, the American logo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything's so retro. Um, and actually, I want to touch really quickly on the chicks with guns because that was such a, a cool intro for the villain. Yeah, to just be watching this movie, or this like commercial infomercial thing, whatever it was, and like explaining guns through this thing and explaining that like. The popular guns are the ones that they use in TV and movies, and everybody wants those guns because they're pop, like they're the, they're what these characters play, <coughs> which is I think a through line of Tarantino too of like media perpetuating violence and how the two intersect. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like specifically is about that and like calls it to attention out loud. Yeah, but Inglorious Bastards is about that. Kill Bill. They talk about like the death squad or whatever like the tv show of female assassin or no that's pulp fiction yeah pulp fiction they talk about that um but just the idea of like tv shows influencing people wanting to be like these characters and in this movie because it's so restrained you really don't get that same feeling of like oh i want to be part of this world all you want is for jackie to succeed and jackie to get out of it Mm -hmm. and to be safe and comfortable and I think it's, like, interesting to have that commercial in the beginning to specifically say, like, oh, yeah, violence is tied to this TV show or, like, this VHS that I have. Yeah. I also uh, <clears throat> did not re- – I don't think I knew that Robert De Niro was in this movie um, until I was, like, watching it last night. I was like, oh, Robert De Niro was in this movie. Um, but I think, like, that whole sequence – that you were talking about was like really interesting and like a really good introduction to that character. And like, like you said, like we get this intro with Jackie where like the opening credits, she goes to her gate and she's just like welcoming people. And then the next like 20 ish minutes of the movie move to a, to- like this movie is literally called Jackie Brown. Like you would think that 
we're going to be spending most of our time with her. And, like, this movie should absolutely be called Jackie Brown, but it's, like, a really interesting thing that they're like, no, we're actually just going to, like, totally sidebar for, like, the vast majority of the first chunk of this movie to give you an introduction to these other characters. Um, but I... <laughs> I also thought that that scene was really funny in introducing Robert De Niro's character who just like absolutely does not give a shit about any of the guns or anything that that Ordell is saying. He just does not give a fuck. And it is so funny watching him like Robert De Niro play that particular character was really, really amusing to me. Robert De Niro's performance in this, I just wrote De Niro as a note, because, like, <laughs> I feel like this performance is so different it's from what he normally does. So he unlike does anything really well. he's done. Yeah. Yeah, he's just vacant. He's just... It's so good, though. Go with the flow, and, like, oh, yeah. It's so funny, because it's... It, he's just this, like, okay, yeah, there's a body in the trunk. Like, okay, I'll go along with it. <laughs> and, to be totally honest, the way some of the lines, especially towards the end when he gets mad, which I'm not going to compare the level of violence, but in the way he says things and the way he expresses himself when he's angry, it was very exactly the same as my dad, where I was like, oh, (laughs) Robert De Niro could play my dad. Like, it's the same timber. And when he gets frustrated, he's like, yeah, I I just, there's no talking to her. You know, you know what it's like when there's no talking to her. It's just like, it was so funny to watch Robert De Niro do that kind of character of just this like, oh, I'm okay, yeah, sure. That's which is like, do you want to have sex? And he's like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. Everything's just so easygoing and go with the flow, and that's why he gets in trouble. But also when he loses his temper, that switch is so crazy. Yeah. To watch him just go unhinged. <laughs> Well, yeah, because, like, the entire movie, you know, it's like a two and a half hour long movie for two hours of this movie, an hour and 45 minutes of this movie. He's just, like, stoned out of his mind and just, like, yeah. does not give a shit about anything. And then all of a sudden is just, like, literally, like, pounding down Melanie's door, dragging her, like, and just, like, basically, like, screaming at her at, you know, a department store volume. Yeah. Like, it's just like, whoa. Oh, God, what is this? But then he goes back to the same thing when he's, like, in the car with Odell. <laughs> it's just, like, this character is incredible. It's, like, it's yeah. so fun to watch. You shot her. Yeah. Yeah. Is she dead? <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Where did you shoot her? Once in the stomach and you know, once in the chest. I mean, yeah, I'd say she's she's dead. <laughs> I I did want to say, just real quick, you mentioned, like, when uh, she's like, so do you want to fuck? And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> it cuts to black. And then the title card just says, three minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then they just, like, finish. And she's like, well, that was fun. He's like, yeah, yeah, fun. She's like, all right, cool. And then she, as she's walking away, she's like, and now we can catch up. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> Like we just had to get that out of the way, and now we can, you know, like, be old friends again. <laughs> it's <just like laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, God. I would say uh, there were thing... some, like, inner titles like that that worked for me, but a good majority of them, I was like, this is unnecessary. But I did like the three minutes later one. 
So, <laughs> I mostly agree that they were unnecessary, but they almost always made me laugh just because of how over-the-top they were. <laughs> like, when he goes to Beaumont's house, <laughs> it's like, it gives, like his, like, his address or whatever, or, like, it says, like, the city of... But then underneath mm-hmm. it, it says, like, two blocks north of on Hollywood or whatever. And I was just like, yeah. this is so stupid. They're like, <laughs> so it's, Tarantino. It's so Tarantino that I was like, this is really dumb. And, like, anyone else doing this, I would definitely be rolling my eyes. But with him doing it, it just, like, made me laugh. Like, I was just like, yeah, yeah okay, I'm down. <laughs> the uh, Also, the split screen of when uh, Jackie is being, like, uh, approach. Oh, actually, I'll go back really quick because we're talking about Beaumont. The structure of the movie is so cool, and I and this is one thing that I didn't really catch the first time. Of like, like you said, you leave Jackie, and then you spend so much time with Ordell, and then Beaumont, and then you see him like tell this whole story to Beaumont, and you're not like you assume that he's probably gonna kill him, but like it, he's putting forward a pretty uh, believable case of, like, I'm gonna help you get out of this. And then just kills him in a trunk and, like, tells him to get in, like, makes him do all the work for him. And then you get to see that Jackie is in the same spot, so that you really get all of the tension that's been built of, like, oh, no, and she's uh, at odds with Ordell now. And I think that, like, structure was so cool. And then... When she le- when Max leaves and she's in the house and Ordell is there with his gloves on. Like, Ordell gets there, has gloves on, turns off the light. You're like, oh, God, this is so bad. And then they push a, a split screen that you're not entirely sure why. Only for Max to open the glove compartment, for you to see that the gun is gone, for the split screen to go away, and then for Jackie to pull the gun on Ordell and flip the table and change the dynamic of the whole movie. It's like... She's not the victim. This is the first time in this first part of the movie that she suddenly is not the victim. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure this out and you're gonna help me do it or I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> and it was such a clever and Tarantino style way to deliver this information to you as the viewer and pack a punch that like is kind of hard to do without fast edits. And so again it's this kind of like tempered slow delivering of of information and then a change of dynamics in the scene and it's so cool and well done i loved it yeah the the way he shot i think both of the scenes where um like basically like once they leave beaumont's apartment um like all of that i thought was really cool like the fact that it was all framed like from like looking up from the the trunk of the car was really fun. Mm-hmm. And then when he finally like gets him into the car and they're like driving away and he just like kind of zooms back a little bit. You see the car go around and then it just like the camera just is static the whole time. And you see him like come back around like that. Like, the way he shot that sequence was really, really, really cool. Um, and then so like, there was that, like I was like, Oh fuck. And then the whole sequence where um, he's in Jackie's apartment and he, like, he keeps turning the light off and, like, Quentin will just, like, let the scene play out for a while, just fully in darkness. And I was like, this is such a ballsy move that, like, I can't imagine, like, I can't can't think of many other directors who would be able to, like, pull, like, A, would try and pull that off and B, would be able to, like, actually successfully pull that off. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, as I was watching that, I was like, there's a lot of moments of tension throughout all of Quentin's filmography, but I think it would be really fun to see like Quentin Tarantino do like a, like a straight horror movie. Like I would love mm-hmm. to see like, what is Quentin's version of a horror movie look like? Because all of like the tension that he builds throughout all of the, his other movies is fantastic. And like, what would a full movie of that look like as opposed to just like a few scenes interspersed throughout the larger thing? Um, but yeah, that like both of those sequences, I was just like really floored by. <clears throat> yeah. Yee. And those are and like the especially the Beaumont scene, which is the first like act of violence in the movie, so far away, yeah. so obscure. Like you don't see Chris Tucker in the trunk even from the angle that we're at, and that just keeps getting repeated. Where like when Melanie gets shot, it's off screen. When Robert De Niro gets shot, it's like. Uh, we're behind, so we can't see anything but like the blood spray. Yeah, I thought all Melody of it was is shot so... on screen. No, Robert She's De Niro's like on screen, off. and you see him like grab his gun and like pull the trigger. You may see like like a side of her, but she's not on camera. Like mm. she's off to the side, and you you just like are like, oh okay, I see what happened here. Jk. Yeah. <clears throat> Also, after he shoots her and he walks away and he goes, see, I knew it was here. <laughs> it's so funny and crazy. Uh, can I, if, yeah. if, if we're on to a new topic, can I just, is this a good angle? Uh, can I just talk about how annoying Michael Keaton is? What? <laughs> I mean, I, w- I was not expecting it, but yeah, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I don't know if it's the characters he plays typically but like i was watching this and i was like god he's just so annoying and then when he puts that gum in his mouth i was like god i want to slap him i mean i wanted to slap him pretty much the whole time i assumed that was the point but i was just like oh i don't and he always wears weird shorts i just kept thinking of him in spotlight with his wide hip men and pleated khakis there was one particular shot in this movie where i think it like he takes off first of all when he's Jackie in shorts goes, no 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 i mean oh yes but not that's not the one i was going to talk about so when jackie goes back to the the police station or whatever the atf station or whatever um to like try and figure out if she can get her job back slash put her plan in place and he rolls in with that fucking leather jacket and that motorcycle oh. helmet i was like I knew that you were supposed to dislike this character the first time he was introduced, but my god, <laughs> did they really make you hate this person? I was just like, and that's where I'm like, fuck you so much. <laughs> um, so that was one thing. But then I think later, I think after the <clears throat> after the heist takes place and Jackie's in the interrogation room, and he comes in and I think he takes a jacket off or something and he's just got a plain white t-shirt on that's tucked the, into his khaki pants. <laughs> and that particular khakis. scene, <laughs> I was like, if Tierney doesn't mention it, I'm going to bring up <laughs> fucking Spotlight. Just for our listeners, because I'm sure they don't, they don't know, uh, we went to see Spotlight. I think it was like New Year's Day. Full theater. We were in the front yeah. row. All that movie was to me was wide-hipped men in khakis, <laughs> like men with like khakis. childbearing <laughs> hips. 
That was the working title, I think. It was Men's it's childbearing hips. <laughs> men was a bigger font, and then with childbearing hips was kind of like a subtitle. Or men with wide-hipped men in front pleated khakis. Oh my god! god. And they were all like billowing. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there were some pleats in this movie too. Yeah, but Again. they weren't quite as billowy. 90s. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Just fucking 90s all well, over the place. Spotlight was early 2000s. No, I know. I'm just like, when Matt was oh, like, yeah, there were over. pleats in this movie, I was like, yeah, that checks out oh, because yeah. that was. <laughs> 90s were pleat city, baby. Do you remember those like wide tooth cords where they'd be like an inch thick? Oh. I think I had a few of those. <laughs> and they were just burlap sacks around my legs. <laughs> big old tubes, big tree trunks. <laughs> No form. And no they'd sex make appeal. like weird like swishy sounds when you walk. They'd be like yeah, they'd lock they'd lock into place like a zipper. Yes. <laughs> you had to like unzip your legs just to like walk yeah. somewhere. <laughs> the I think the goal was to to wear a shirt so big that the that the shirt would be interfering with the locking of the corduroys. Smart. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, this is a big tangent. I just felt like I really need to talk about how awful. His also, character Ordell's is. Ordell's little goatee is also crazy. It's <laughs> so bad. It's so thin. It's so small. It's so thin and small. Here's, all here's of my all question. of the hair choices involved with Ordell's character are just like truly baffling to me. Like it's not that bad when he has his hair in a ponytail, but like in the last few scenes in the movie where he doesn't have it in a ponytail and it's just like Samuel Jackson with just like really long hair. I was like red I don't like I don't like this. I don't I'm not interested in this. I have a question though. As as people who grow hair on their faces, would I feel like having one long braided goatee would get really annoying? A hundred percent. Okay. Oh yeah. There's no way that that that's a fun thing. Though I'm sure some people have a tiny thin goatee that goes down to their chest. I can't imagine you care that it feels terrible. You've got to get past that. Ugh. I feel like I even how goatees it in general would feel terrible. Like, even little yeah, ones. Yeah, but this one you'd get, like, stuck in zippers, which would be a problem. What? <laughs> like, this little goatee. Oh, oh, like, if you like, coat, like a, okay. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like what Not the a f- normal goatee, <laughs> though I have zipped my beard into a coat before, so... Sorry, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna need to hear that story. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like you're le- you're looking down and then you you grab a little you you zip up a little tuft. I zip my hair all the time, but that's because it's long. That, yeah, I was gonna say I that zip my hair out. back and forth. I zip my hair back and forth. <laughs> oh my <Ridiculous>. god. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, Do you guys remember that vine of that girl who invented, like, a tool to brush her hair, but then it rips off all of her hair? I think it's just a straightener, and it, like, oh, oh the, like, the one that spins? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Just yeah. R- spins and rips? Oh, I, like, can't watch that without squirming. Those videos are my favorite of just, like, gently destroying your hair. <laughs> Like, putting a tool on it, and then immediately it singes off that strand of hair. Uh, uh, that has nothing to do with the... Jackie Brown. What? The no. witch finger? <laughs> yeah, the witch finger down the guy's throat. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Whereas I like the one of the girl eating Dairy Queen, and then uh, the uh, the driver breaks, and she goes, <laughs> "Stop!" <laughs> we'll include links to all these vibes in the uh, description of the show. Check out our website for links to all of these super old <laughs> internet videos. <laughs> Uh, also, this is based on a book. I don't have much to say about it, but it's based on Rum Punch. Yeah, it's and... based on an Elmore Leonard novel. Um, yeah. And Elmore Leonard short story was the basis of Justified, which is a fantastic TV show that everybody should watch. Is that, isn't that the... Isn't that only the Justin Timberlake album? <laughs> and not a TV Cry show? Cry me a river. Is that the same album? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's from that album. I was going to say, I would love if that was from a different Justin Timberlake album. I know um, my Justin Timberlake, I think. <laughs> I'd have to uh, look. Yeah, I, oh, guess I, I do think it's interesting that um, this is Quentin's only movie that wasn't a like completely original story, like his own thing. Well, uh, Inglorious Bastards is like vaguely based on Inglorious Bastards. There was a, like it was a real group of people, yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. I think it was just an old movie from the 40s or 50s. <laughs> I think we would have heard more about the yeah, Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> They're a real pack of people. Well, to be fair, uh, <laughs> there, like Quentin was a, credited as an original screenplay for Inglorious Bastards, where he sure, was sure, sure. not credited as an original screenplay for this, which was more what yeah. I meant. Like, yeah. I think it's interesting that like that's not true. You... Kill Sock Bill, it to him, Chaney. Kill Bill is based on true events. Oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> Get late in Central Time, you guys. <laughs> death proof. He- death proof. Proof. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven to my grandpa. Oh my god. He was a car. <laughs> so please be sensitive. That trunk shot is in my family's legacy. <laughs> Oh, man. Now it makes sense why Tierney always cries whenever she sees a car crash in movies. I get it now. And, yeah, and also why she goes, HONK! <laughs> oh, my God. When she's angry. When she's angry. Or, or she's just trying to get somebody's attention. She's like, oh, I think that's my friend over there. HONK! <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Quick update. Uh, Crimea River is on the Justified album. Yeah, see, Bless. I fucking knew it. I know my Justin Timberlake. I'm sorry for doubting you. How dare you? Um, but anyway, what I was saying is, like, if you were, if you were to... St- <laughs> what? I'm still just thinking about my grandpa was a car. <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Colin. No, I know... <laughs> Uh, if you were to just sit somebody down and just start playing this movie, like it, and they didn't know it was a Quentin Tarantino movie, but were familiar with Quentin Tarantino, like they would absolutely be able to say, like, "Oh, this is a Quentin Tarantino movie." I just thought, like, it's interesting that 
he was able to take something that already existed and like fully mm-hmm. make it his own. Obviously, I've <laughs> obviously I've never read the novel that this is based on, but um, but like he, you can tell. However much he did take from the, the the actual source material, you can tell that he fully made this his own version of it. Um, yeah. I think also, because uh, I quickly read, like, what the book was kind of like, whatever. A Wikipedia summary, and I skimmed that. But... <laughs> I couldn't even be book, bothered to read the Cliffs notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in, I guess in the book, uh, her name's Jackie Burke, or something like that, and she's a white woman in her 40s who is working for an airline and stuff like that. Uh, and I know that one of the things that Quentin Tarantino said about Jackie Brown was that he wanted to take the idea of these black exploitation heroines like Pam Greer played, mm-hmm. which we got to devote a portion of this, yeah. of this podcast to I'm, Pam Greer I've just been waiting for that. So all my other <laughs> let, notes let, are. Let, <laughs> let that be the rest of it. Uh, but, like, what would, sh- what would that character who, like, you know, got mixed up with the wrong people be in her 40s? And how would that kind of character approach things? And I think that dynamic is so much more interesting than some white woman yeah. who, like, mm-hmm. gets involved in this. And even them saying, like, like she's a black woman who's going to go to prison and, like, doesn't deserve to be there. And I think that drives so much why you need her to win where you're just like, she's got to get through this. Like, she's got to beat them all. Uh, and watching her succeed and watching her play everybody against each other just the way she needs to to survive and get out is, like, so satisfying because it's her. But, yeah, Pam Greer, let's fucking talk about it because she's so good in this. <laughs> she's so good. That was... I have never, ever made a note about who, like, what the film should have been nominated for but she absolutely should have been nominated for best actress she's Hell so yes. good every single scene she just crushes it so and she's so cool she's mm-hmm. so fucking cool like that intro to her as we've already talked about like the opening of this movie is just incredible but like the whole time just like watching her just like stand there just looking fly as fuck you're just like yeah hell yeah i will say like the first couple scenes of her where she's like playing everything like really like she's playing it like very very subtle um mm-hmm. i was just like it's not bad acting by any means but i was just like oh like i hope we get to see more from pam Greer. and then once the movie takes off i was like oh okay here here's the thing that i was waiting for and my god <laughs> like she yeah. is just on fire I think basically like as soon as like she gets out of jail like from that moment on you're just like I cannot take my eyes off of you like if you are on the screen I am just swooning over whatever the fuck you're doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think my one of the like uh like most superb instances for me was after the swap has been made in the uh fitting room and mm-hmm. she sits on the bench moment, and then she just starts to look very upset. Yeah. And then she leaves, and I was like, because I, I didn't remember what happened from the last time I saw it. And I was like, is yeah. she panicking? Me too. Like, I don't remember this. And she's like, she's like looking around, and I'm like, stop looking around. You're looking really suspicious. And she, like, convinced me 
that mm-hmm. yeah. something was super wrong. So when she finally yelled, like, Ray, come out, I was like, oh, right. <laughs> well, and I, I had the exact, I mean, I'd never seen this before. So, like, I didn't have, like, the context of, like, oh, this is all going to work out. But I was like, isn't that the plan? Like, I thought the plan was that she was going to do that. Why is she so upset? Like, what's happening? And the the way that she just, like, flipped that switch mm-hmm. just so quickly and so quietly and was just like, okay, we're in this mode now. And I think there was a line, I think uh, Robert Forrester had a line where I think he said something like, this could work. We'll see. We'll see how she does with the cops or something. And, like, you get right away that's like, oh, she's going to fucking crush it with the cops. Like, it's not even going to be, like, we don't even need to be moderately concerned about that. Like, she is just going to fucking destroy anything she needs to to make sure that this plan works and she gets her money and she can, you know, live the rest of her life. Uh, God bless yeah. Pam Greer. And her scene when <coughs> she... So, like, we get her interrogation. She goes through, like jail for the night she gets bailed out she's with max so we get that scene we get max or we get her and ordell and then we get her and max again when she gives back the gun so that we're already seeing like she's telling ordell about the plan but then she's also telling that plan to max and that plan involves her going to atf to give them information and then the next scene she goes to atf dressed to the nines and, like, the first time when she was like, can I smoke in your office? And they deny it, and she's just pissed off. Mm-hmm. And this time, because she's giving them what they want, she's like, can I smoke in your office? And they're like, yeah, go for it. And she just has total control, looks awesome, and is, like, giving them exactly what they need, but only as much as she wants. It's flawless, just, like, shifting constantly from being kind of nervous with Ordell or, like, trying to, like make him believe her and make make it seem like uh like oh no i i i wouldn't tell on you like i'm okay and then being very open and like happy and comfortable with max to being very restrained with the cops and just constantly scene by scene shifting back and forth and like you said in the dressing room even the moment that she sees a reflection and we see a reflection that looks scared and uh not ready and not prepared and it's just her internal, like, recognition of, like, if I can't do this, then I will be that person. And I'll never defend, I'll never be able to stand up and, like, defend myself. And that's the moment of her just being like, yep, we're going to do this and I'm going to do it exactly like I planned it every step of the way. And that fear when she's, like, running away and trying to pay for the thing, it really is confusing. And it's one of those moments where you're like, what is, why... Wait, what was supposed to happen in this scene? Was she supposed to give that bag? Were they supposed to know about it? And all of that stuff is so well-crafted, and Pam Greer just delivers every single moment over and over again. Yeah, I've, I have no disagreements there. I also <laughs> liked uh, when she's in the interrogation room at the end, and uh, Michael Keaton leaves the room, and she just, you see, like, a quick moment of her, like, being, I would say, being herself. Like, not having to put on, like, a, like, very cool, like, persona. And I thought that was really well done as well. Like, it wasn't too much, but it, was, it wasn't too little. It was, like, just right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was the, great. Um, 
she's so good in this entire movie, but the scene that I like really loved was when she goes to Melanie's apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked a little bit about this earlier. Um, but like that red dress that she's wearing, she looks mm-hmm. fucking incredible. Like she is so beautiful and she just yeah. like walks in and just like owns the room. Like, she's just like, this is bullshit, you know, like, totally calling him out. Like, what the fuck did you do to me? Like, I was not expecting this. Like, you said you weren't going to send some crack baby there. She showed up. What the fuck? And she's just like, no, like, like, don't fuck this up for me. (laughs) And she's like, I am not going to allow your bullshit to fuck up my plan to steal your fucking money. (laughs) (laughs) So awesome. And I was just like yeah (laughs) yes give me an entire movie of this scene and i would not say no like it's it's so good yeah and knowing that that same character earlier is like oh i just borrowed your gun because i felt like i'd be safer with it yeah and she's like and then he's like well do you need it for another night and she's like no no i borrow i got one now (laughs) and he's like you bought one you you went out this morning and bought a gun (laughs) she's like what i'm sorry i can't hear you like just perfect at any like whatever she needs to be to the people that are trying to control her max not so much but like everyone else yeah she's just like pivoting constantly anything she needs she'll just pivot and get it and in the final moments where she's like he's got a gun yeah (laughs) it's like boom done he's dead you're free you're home safe i loved when she was just sitting alone in the um in the bail bonds office in max's office and she's just like practicing like how she's gonna pull the gun on ordell Mm -hmm. you just get to see her do like four or five different versions of it (laughs) i was like (laughs) this is so like i feel like this is absolutely like what somebody in that position would do (laughs) like clearly like can can hold their own but like has never been has never had to hold their own to the extent where like i might have to literally shoot someone you know (laughs) like and so just watching her just you know and just like keep trying different things and then ultimately realizing that she just wasn't going to be able to do it and so she just like called in reinforcements i was like nice (laughs) like that's (laughs) so like that that just feels like that's just such a like that character is so well thought out and well developed and well realized that like all of those pieces right there at the end, just like, at, yeah, you're like a hundred percent. This, this whole thing fully checks out. And I think like he, like Quentin wrote it really well. She played it really well. Just everything comes together beautifully. And then like you said, it, it ends up with her just being like, he has a gun. Like Just like, just mostly yeah, like, like not really scared. Mostly just stating it like matter of factly and kind of loudly. It's just like, yeah. Yep. Just to be like, and this needs to happen because then it exonerates her. She's not even the one who pulls the trigger. Yeah. Everyone does exactly what she needs them to do so that she can get out of this. Uh, yeah, it's powerhouse performance. And earlier, when she has the gun pointed at Ordell when he comes over to her house, and he's like, okay, well, if we're going to talk about this plan, could you at least point that away from me? And then she just, like, tilts her hand the other direction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like, no, idiot, I'm not going to take the gun off you. <laughs> Incredible. I wish, I like, Pam Greer is somebody that I wish was just in all of Tarantino's movies. So that I was... Love her in everything. That was the thing I was going to say, like... Um, 
like John Travolta after Pulp Fiction kind of had like a moment. Like he's definitely not around anymore, um, unless you saw Gotti. <laughs> Which, did anyone see? <laughs> Which, uh, real quick, sidebar, uh, Gotti, I believe, was a Movie Pictures production. <laughs> or movie, a Movie Pass production, excuse me. Oh, oh yeah. Really? So if we want to right. bring that back. <laughs> Have I told you that, that uh, I was, ta- was going to go see it with uh, Becca? And oh, we yeah. were talking about going to see it. And her cousin thought it was G-O-D-D-Y. Like, <laughs> oh, my <God-y. laughs> Like, gods and goddesses. <laughs> She's like, the fuck movie is this? <laughs> yeah, were you guys going to go see it with, like, using your movie passes, but it was only in theaters in Chicago for, like, a week? <laughs> like, yeah. 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 And then yeah. we got, to like, go a to, like zero. somewhere really far away in the suburbs. Yeah. Um... <laughs> But anyway, I think, like, he, so yeah, like, John Travolta was in this Quentin Tarantino movie and then, like, had a moment afterwards. Um, but it feels like Jackie Brown, or, um, Pam Greer, like, didn't really have, like, a moment. Like, it just seemed like he brought her back for this incredible performance. Like, she obviously was, like, you know, a thing in the 70s. Um, but he, like, brought her back for this incredible performance, but then, like, I don't know, Hollywood failed her. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. She's so good in this movie. And then, like, I'm looking at her filmography after that, and I have either not heard of most of these movies, or these movies are The Adventures of Pluto Nash. So, like, Mm. they... I'm gonna look look her up. (coughs) Yeah, I feel like Uh, they've done her real dirty, and it's it's a shame. Yeah. She just crushes this movie. Uh, I also love her line, I don't get a lot of new stuff often, when she's talking about when he's like, you can't get a lot of new stuff on yeah. vinyl. And she's like, I don't get a lot of new stuff often. And you're like, I want you to have everything. <laughs> Jackie, you're the best. <laughs> and the final moment was she, and it does, I don't even know if you really know as a viewer that she also used Max mm-hmm. until she's at his office. And she's like, I didn't use you. And he's like, I didn't say you did. But, like, that moment where he's also realizing, like, you weren't as in love with me as I am with you. Yeah. Like, and that's okay. Like, I'm glad that you were able to protect yourself. And then they get to kiss, and then she leaves. And that scene of him just talking and taking another case and being like, okay, and how old is he? Okay, and uh, and what's the offense? As she's walking to the car and he's just looking at her heartbreaking like sweet sweet max cherry and then for her to drive away and also you could just tell everything on her face that she's like i would have liked to have stayed and had yeah something but i'm happy that i'm free and i'm happy that i'm in charge of my own life and this was good and i'm gonna count my wins and leave and like have a nice vacation yeah i will like that scene at the end is extra heartbreaking because he had said earlier in the movie, he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And she's like, Oh, when'd you figure that out? And he's like, not Thursday night. And she was like, wait, the night you picked me up. And like, he comes up with that story about how, which may or may not be true, but how he like figured it out. Like after she, he had dropped her off, he went to go do another thing for a different client, but it's like, no, he, he saw her and was like, I'm out. (laughs) Like, yeah. Um, so it was, like, extra heartbreaking to watch, knowing that he's, like, 
now I guess I'll just keep doing this because now I don't have anything to live for. And I was like, God, fuck. Also, uh, very heartbreaking scene, but when uh he is on the phone with a woman he's like actually you know what um i'm I'm sorry can can you just call me back i need a minute can you call me back in like a half an hour and he just walks away i was like he's gonna go jack off in that bathroom god (laughs) you caught tierney's attention she wasn't even looking at the zoom screen god that kiss that kiss he's he's gotta go take care of that (laughs) you beast ass monster gross how dare you? You, you know it's Sweet true. Sweet Cherry never jerks off. <laughs> he plans a very meticulous morning routine. With, like, some candles. <laughs> yeah, that satisfies his needs. But also, like, him as a character of when she leaves the department store and it's his turn yeah. to go get the bag. And he's like, I think my wife uh, left it in there. And then gets it, and as he's coming out, points to it and is like, I got it. And is just cool, collected, composed, unflappable, perfect Max, like he always has been. And, like, just emotionless, leaves the department store, looks at the doors as he's getting his car, and realizes, like, yeah, alright, this worked, like, cool, I'm so happy that this plan worked. And it just, the, like, the look of satisfaction that he has is beautiful i just love their love story and i'm and it is a great love story because they don't even end up together but like i can't think of another uh tarantino movie that has a love story as sweet or as like patient as this one Mm -hmm. and it's between two people who are in their 40s and likely fit like mid to late 50s i think at the end he says he's 56 yeah I just love him so much. I, like, forgot how much I loved him, but knew that I loved Robert Forrester because of this performance and that scene where he's watching her put on the vinyl. But I forgot that, like, every time he looks at her, like, just a pool of liquid. I'm just melted. (laughs) I just kept screaming, Oh! Oh, Max! Oh! Last night. Um, I did like the... I like the bookends uh, across 110th Street. Like yeah, the, God, I love that it like starts with that song in the opening credits, and I love that it ends with just like her having a moment in the car, and like I don't know. I think movies where they like the movie ends with like an extended take on just like a person can like really be hit or miss. Like I think there are some that work super well, and I think there are some that are just like okay. And I think, like, this one was really, really, really good. And I love that it, like, was bookended with the soundtrack. Um, uh, I thought that that was just, like, a really nice touch to, like, end the movie on. And just, like, her... Yeah, yeah like you said, just, like, you can just watch her, like, go through all of those things and finally, like, be fully at peace with, like, the choices that she made and, like, the life that she's about to have, so... And that yeah. sweet, and sweet just the... Spanish vacation she's about to have. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. And that hot-ass suit that she buys, mm. where you're like, fuck yeah, you look good in that suit. You look like a trillion bucks, <laughs> Pam Greer. But also, like, the lyrics of, uh, did whatever I had to do to survive. I'm not saying what I did was all right, but trying to break out of the ghetto was a day-to-day fight. Mm-hmm. It's like, pl- that playing over as she's, like, mulling over everything that she's done and and wins. The best part about this movie is that she fucking wins. Mm-hmm. And even when you mm-hmm. think 
she's losing. That was part of her plan, and she still wins. Like, it's so rare that you get a satisfying movie, especially with a heist movie, where it's just like, yes, yes, yes. And by the end, you're just like, fuck yeah. <laughs> you did it, you win, everyone else can blow. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, um... Is that, I was is say, that I the don't, brunt of the conversation? I don't have anything else to say. Yeah, about no, the movie. those are all my notes. Hit the, the oh, categories. I have two quick things. Okay. Uh, you know, your boy loved that this took place in a mall. Oh, <laughs> fuck yeah. <laughs> I 1000% <laughs> thought that last night. In the same way that I saw that shot of Michael Keaton was like, Tierney's going to want to talk about Spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no wonder, Matt, because I knew that you had seen this movie. And that you really liked this movie. I didn't know, like, how highly you would rank it on Quentin's list, but I knew that you really liked it. And I was like, no wonder Matt fucking loves this movie. So much of the plot takes place in a goddamn mall. (laughs) Yeah, and I forgot that that's where the trade happens. And then as, like, uh, Max... Is it Max or or Jackie? Like, enters the mall and you see, like, the full expanse of the mall in front of them. I was like, hell yeah! (laughs) We're getting some Sam Goody shots up in this 90s mall. Uh, and also, uh, this isn't a huge point, because she edited all of Tarantino's movies, but credit again to Sally Menke for just editing the fuck out of this movie <laughs> and being a true queen, rest in peace. Yeah. Just the coolest editor. And this is so different from other Tarantino movies, and she nailed it. And she like nailed the tone and the pacing. So, Sally Mankey, this one's for you. <laughs> this Thanks, one's Sally. for you, my girl. <laughs> Thanks, Sally. <laughs> Thanks, Sally. <laughs> All right. Let's do some categories. So, uh, Oscars? Is that, is Pam. It? Oh, Pam tattoo Pam. ideas. Sorry. I was like, where, <laughs> was like, where do we Ooh. start? Um, this has plenty. I feel like Tarantino movies come loaded with Logan. I know. I... I couldn't like come you up. Get I couldn't the Cabo like the, Airlines. Mm-hmm. Cabo the Airlines. Yeah, that was that one's fun. Um, yeah, there weren't any that like super jumped out to me. Although there were a lot that I was like, oh yeah, that could be something fun. Um, yeah, even just her with the gun, like on the cover. I was gonna say, I I just feel like it's got to be something with Pam Greer. Yeah, and and or Robert Forrester. Oh. You get- <laughs> the Delphonics on cassette. The Delphonics. Yeah. You could also- I would get the Delphonics on cassette on my arm. You could also get would a... Would you? I'm going to hold you to that. No. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say to me? You could... I could get a tattoo, like, so I could start shaving again, and I could get oh, a tattoo no. of, like, a really long oh. goatee. Gross. <laughs> No, what you should do is you should get a full back tattoo and have it just be billowing pleated khakis. <laughs> <laughs> and then a tiny With little a shirt Ma- Michael in. Keaton yeah. head. <laughs> and then your sleeves are the billowing uh, suit sleeves of Al Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> so you're just a billowing movie monster. Yikes, what a nightmare. Yeah. Also... Because you have the Blu-ray, did you have the one with, like, this inner sleeve that has, like, the 70s artwork on it? Uh, I did not pay much attention to my uh, well, Blu-ray set last night. 
I think you would notice it because like this one comes in a sleeve and then you pull out a different one. Oh yeah, no, this is like a pretty standard Blu-ray case, like the plastic shit. Ooh, I'll, my Blu-ray we'll make it case the poster. is uh, made of like water, and you have to like oh, swim really? through it to get the DVD, and then you put that in the. Huh? Yeah. Look at you! Interesting. Look That's the collector's you. edition, I think. You got yeah. the fancy edition. I just got the the regular it's, edition. They say it's in water, but what it actually is is like a foot bath. And mm. then you right. have to like put on a swim cap a... that that looks that's just Tarantino's head. I was and say then you it... go diving in oh. for all the feet. Yeah, oh. it is a Tarantino then, movie, so this this yeah. checks out. Yeah. And then you have to drink <laughs> all the water, but but. <laughs> It's <laughs> probably too gross for our listeners, actually. <laughs> it's too gross for me, absolutely. I don't know why we're doing absolutely. this. <laughs> you should get that tattooed on your body. Oh, God, I hate it. Right next to fucking film fettuccine Alfredo. <laughs> <laughs> just, just true nightmare all you over, all over my body. Feet. Yeah, yeah, what if I was going to say along your back, just you got a bunch of all feet. the feet from Tarantino movies. Or, so like, like, on the bottom of Uma's my foot is just Bridget Fonda's foot. foot. Or, no, <laughs> on the bottom like... of your foot, you should have the bottom of the girl's foot from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. I just, yeah. like, so go in and, like, tattooed. can you just color this, this disgusting <laughs> fucking brown thing that's happening? Just, just do that here. <laughs> make oh. my foot look filthy forever. <laughs> I do take showers every day, but I want it to look like I definitely don't. So, can you do that? Is I that think, a thing? <laughs> I think Quentin will like it, Wink. Um, um, I would, yeah, I would definitely spend time on this film set. Fuck yeah! Yeah, same. I'd live on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd live on it. Especially because half of it's a mall. Oh, God, you're Were there any other yeah. categories? I feel like I'm missing something. Tattoo. Uh, the other what? We the said the awards. Oscars, but we Oscars. said Pam Greer. Yeah, so this was only nominated for one thing. And yeah. it was Robert Forrester, which deserved. <gasps> Yay! <laughs> I'm so glad at least he got it. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say. Just, the camera's going to blur. Just like how the movie ends. <laughs> <laughs> The podcast will uh, end. Matt will so just much. disappear for the next Matt, five minutes, Matt and then you're, you'll hear, I'm finished. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, Matt's like, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> it's, it's a funny joke, but also, can we stop recording soon? I gotta go take care of some stuff. Can you just Max give about me... to pop my cherry? Oh my god! Oh god! <laughs> about to pop my is the nickname in quotes in the middle, so it's Max quote <laughs> about to pop my quote cherry. All right. Next next segment. So <laughs> I think adapted screenplay. So I think it definitely should have won. Or. I mean, at least been nominated for screenplay, adapted screenplay. Uh, nominees that year were L.A. Confidential, which won? Oh, I do love L.A. Confidential. I know you do. Uh, throwback to the first film fest that we had. Um, I didn't show that. Did we just watch that, like, randomly? I yeah, thought that yeah. was... Because I loved it, so it. I made you watch it. Oh, that's right. All right. Never mind. Uh, Donnie Brasco, The Sweet Hereafter, Wag the Dog, and Wings of the Dove. Yeah, No. <laughs> 
the I don't know. Get, get Quentin yeah. in here somewhere. This is fucking you ridiculous. Gotta be kidding me. Who, uh, bullshit. who was nominated for Best Actress? I want to be mad. Yeah, this one's going to piss us off, I think. Yeah. Uh, okay. Helen Hunt uh-huh. won for As Good As It Gets. That's Helena fun. Bonham Carter for The Wings of the Dove. The Julie Christie for Afterglow. Dame fun. Judi Dench. A.K.A. For old, cats. old Deuteronomy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for Mrs. Brown and Kate Winslet for Titanic. <clears throat> oh, this was Titanic year. This was the Titanic year, yeah. Who cares about any of those? <laughs> Pam Grier should have won. Yeah. Uh, She's definitely yeah, so, better than Kate Winslet in Titanic. Yeah. Yeah, get Pam Grier in here for sure. And who I think won? Helen Hunt? Helen Hunt. As good for, as it gets. For Twister? God, if only. <laughs> I mean, she deserved it for Twister. She's a boss in Twister. I've actually never seen the whole thing. Oh, it's, they should do it. Fucking rules. An, they should do like an Expendables of just like <laughs> okay cool action women, and it's just Helen Hunt and Jackie Brown and all the other char- all the other like heroines who were like Sigourney Weaver not- gets in. Yeah, hell yeah. I think they actually were supposed to do that, and then they didn't. Or they did, and I forgot. Uh, it feels like something that Hollywood would have talked about and then, like, backed down on. And then they were like, oh, women can't work over the age of 40. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mostly that. Um, best film editing. Probably should have gotten nominated for that, I would say. Uh, mm-hmm. here, were, here were the nominees. Air Force One. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> As good as it gets, Goodwill Hunting, L.A. Confidential, and Titanic. Guess what won? Titanic. Titanic. Yeah, Titanic won everything. The one that could have been edited a little bit more. I was gonna say the one that probably Mm -hmm. could have used an editor. Uh, As good as it gets, is that the one with Jack Nicholson? Yeah, he won that year for uh, Best Actor. No, yeah, he did. Who? Oh, who was against Robert Forrester? Robin Williams won for Goodwill Hunting, and then okay, fine. Anthony Hopkins for Amistad, Greg Kinnear for As Good As It Gets, and Burt Reynolds for Boogie Nights. Damn, that's a pack. That's a pack category at least. That's a but Robert Forrester really stacked it. category. But um, then the other the ones Robert. had like movies I'd never even heard of, like Everglow yeah, I, Dove or whatever. <laughs> I forgot that Boogie Nights came out this year. Everglow Dove would watch I think that when movie. We do maybe at night, I'm a lot meaner. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should start recording all of them at night because this has been fun. <laughs> I just have um, no patience for for. So here are the nominees like for best director. Uh, James Cameron won for Titanic. Uh, Peter Cataneo for The Full Monty. Gus Van Zant for oh, that's a Goodwill great Hunting. Movie though. The Full Monty. <laughs> yeah. Or. Goodwill Hunt. What's happening? The Full Monty. The oh, full Monty. I haven't seen. The, I haven't seen the Full Monty. I don't think. I definitely. Do haven't you guys seen know it. what the premise is? <clears throat> yeah, it's naked and they're they're normal average Joes. They they become strip dancers, and their thing is that they get completely naked. The Full Monty. It's pretty funny. Uh, Curtis Hansen for L.A. Confidential and Adam Agoyan for The Sweet Hereafter. I feel like at least, like. Either Tarantino or PTA probably could have broken in there somewhere for oh, either this yeah. movie or Boogie Nights over at least one of those other ones. <laughs> oh, yeah. Huh. All right. For well, sure. Oscars stay stupid. You know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, they're getting better, but they weren't any better 
23 years ago. Um, nah. Yeah, so that's that's Jackie Brown. What are you guys up to? Or what have you been up to this week, y'all? I'll do mine real quick. Because I don't... I feel like I have watched more, but I genuinely can't remember. Uh, I have been watching We Are Who We Are, the Luca Guadagnino HBO show. The song starring Kesha, you've been watching the music video? Is that a song, We Are Who We Are? It's a fucking it is, dope... Yeah. It's a dope, oh my dope, dope Kesha banger. That song fucking rules. <laughs> I haven't listened to it. Maybe I will. You should. It's so much fun. Kesha is dope, you guys. Kesha... <laughs> We should all be appreciating Kesha more than we do. I think I think a lot of people do agree with that. Uh, no. I think Especially 10 now. years ago, <laughs> not so much. Yeah. Um, I watched the... Oh, uh, We Are Who We Are, I think, is fine. <laughs> I. It feels like the modern-day version of Call Me By Your Name in, like, uh, visuals... But tonally, it's, like, very uh, odd and uncomfortable. And, like, you're constantly looking at things that you're like, oh, I shouldn't be... I shouldn't be in the room for this. Do you remember... Uh, so I still... Do you what? remember what else was odd and uncomfortable? <laughs> when we went to see Call Me By Your Name and your chair didn't recline. <laughs> 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 so I had, like, a bed... Imagine to sit upright. Perfectly room. straight. 90 degrees. <laughs> it was to odd be fair, and uncomfortable looking. To be fair, it was probably worked out better for Matt because, you know, if you were reclined and when you watched that movie, you definitely just would have fallen asleep. No, I think you just would have been able to see my boner. <laughs> That's where I thought Colin was going. I was like, no. to make that joke. No. <laughs> I'll make it on myself. That's, that's fine. No, my my stance with "Call Me by Your Name" is always that that movie's boring as fuck, and the last twenty minutes are beautiful. But it, it does oh. everything else is can be can be lost. <laughs> uh, GTFO. But yeah, I yes. also watched I also watched David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers with Jer- Jeremy Irons. I thought it was bad. Okay. <laughs> I like. I never didn't even heard get, of it. <laughs> it's about twins who are weird. That's mm. it. I don't know. It's a gross movie. Uh, And I've been watching uh, this week (gasps) the Fast and the Furious movie. Fuck yes! Oh my god, this is amazing. Because Jeff Jeff and Hannah wanted to watch them, and so I've caught most of the first four. Um, And by most of, I mean I missed the beginning of the first one, I missed the end of the second, I missed the beginning of the third one, and I missed the end of the fourth. (laughs) Uh, great. But I've seen Sounds like you're doing a great job. I'm so proud of Tokyo you. Tokyo Drift was cooler than I thought it would be, but the ending is very abrupt and makes no sense. Yep. Uh, also, all the movies are dumb, and I still hate them. But okay, we're, <laughs> we're approaching Fast Five when things really go off the rails, and so we'll see what yeah. I'm feeling like. Uh, but I will reiterate, don't really enjoy them still. I am watching them, but I think they are... Uh, lacking in as much fun i i had so much fun walking watching jackie brown and freaking out uh constantly at like moments that i loved and i find nothing joyous about the fast and the furious franchise i find it uh soul sucking but i'm watching it so that's what i wanted to say that's what i told colin 
get ready because I've been watching something you're going to be excited about. Yeah, he told me that he had a surprise for me in our in this segment, and I was I I never. I had, there were like a few things that I was like, oh, maybe he's finally doing this thing that I've been trying to get him to do for a while. I never would have thought that this was it. God bless you. Those movies are so wonderfully stupid. No. <laughs> <laughs> too fast, too furious. Truly garbage. Uh, Truly trash, yeah, trash, they're, garbage. They're not. They're not great movies. But yeah, if no, you that's... view them as comedies, they're mildly entertaining. They're so fun. Also, the fact that he, like, lets the guy go, and then, like, a year later, they're like, hey, do you want to be a cop again, even though you're bad at it, and you let a crime happen? And he's like, I guess, but I gotta have my friends involved. Wait. It's like, what is, so you, what is this? So you missed the beginning of one, yeah, and the and end of one. two, and, and then I've the same for three and four, you missed the beginning and missed the end? Yeah. So you miss the end of four, where he also quits being a cop. <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I knew that he, like, did jobs with them after. So I was like, clearly this is not a long stint with the FBI agent Brian O'Connor. The fourth movie is... So everybody thinks that Too Fast, Too Furious or Tokyo Drift are the worst. Definitely wrong. Four Fast, it's Four Furious one. is so fucking bad. It's terrible. It's That's the one that so made me bad. hate that. I didn't hate Fast and the Furious, and then I saw four... And there's a shot that just follows a woman's butt. You never see her face. It just follows her butt. She turns a corner, and the camera reveals two women making out. And then it has nothing to do with the scene. Get ready for or... Fast Five, man. Yeah. Get ready for it's all of more. the Fast and Furious movies. Uh, I just want to see them rip through poor people's favelas. Just dragging that vault through people's lives and ruining them. To be fair, they Can't don't drag wait. the vault through the favelas. They ruin like the well-established parts of Rio, and they like drive it. They like drive it through some banks and shit. Like whatever, it's fine. Like, it would be funny if they drove it up to the mountain with Christ on it, and then they took a bad turn in the vault, knocked him over, and like, tumbled down the mountain. And people were like, "Oh no, Christ!" I don't even know what you guys are talking about, and I saw that movie. I just blocked it out of my memory. I guess. Five fast five. Five is five. five, five. <laughs> anyway, um, God bless you, Matt. That's all I've done. I've I've been playing Final Fantasy VII, and I'm doing pretty good, if you ask me. Wait, didn't you play Final Fantasy like 15 when we lived together? Yeah, and I was fine at that one, but I'm better at this one, I think. Are, what, are they just like re-releasing game. every like what's happening with the Final no, Fantasy? No, just this one. Final Fantasy VII was like... Bye, Tierney. <laughs> <laughs> I got a text message. I was looking at it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, Final Fantasy VII Final was Fantasy like... I don't Fantasy is. This isn't... I don't understand. Then we can move on. We'll I wasn't move on. even talking. We'll move on. I was I'm told to keep to go on, and I have nothing. I have nothing. Um, I have nothing. Tierney, what have you been up to? Nothing. Just... <laughs> Just making the van. (laughs) Just giggling and crying. No, I went to go watch Paddington 2 the other day, and then I I just got sleepy. So maybe I'll watch that. And then I was also like, or do I watch Moana? And then... Moana. Moana! You're welcome all of our listeners. <laughs> oh wait, there big was, fans of Moana here. There was one thing I wanted wanted to wanted to. Uh oh. 
Somebody drop that needle back. <laughs> we gotta skip in the track. God, I feel like I did watch something. But I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I just, I can't. I, okay. I, I can't remember. Uh, so I watched all, in honor of spoopy season, I watched all of Netflix's Haunting of Hill House, which came mm. out a few years ago. Uh, directed by Mike Flanagan, who's the guy who did Doctor Sleep and Hush, which is a significantly better. Love. Yeah, Mike Flanagan, director of Doctor <laughs> Strange Love. <laughs> you, you may have heard of it. <laughs> um, Haunting of Hill House was good. Uh, it was definitely did not need to be. <laughs> uh, did not need to be ten hours long, but it was pretty solid. Um, and then the I started watching Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, no, I got it. <laughs> Just trying to ignore it. <laughs> Since the audience can't see that, it's very hard to communicate what's happening. Yeah, for those of you who are still listening, somehow still listening to this episode, I looked at my I looked at my computer screen and saw both Matt and Tierney for no reason because we were not talking about pan's labyrinth just doing the fucking pan's labyrinth thing with their hands over their eyes yeah mitch mcconnell aka mitch mcconnell oh my character god looks he like does mitch look McConnell. like him god damn it. <laughs> just like melted wax with no chin yeah Ugh. and eyes on his hands <laughs> a cursed image just truly foul and then he puts on his his Mitch McConnell skin suit every morning. Oh yeah. Mm. <laughs> so like you this. watched uh, Haunting at Hill House. I, I watched Haunting at Hill House. So I was like pretty jazzed for Haunting of Bly Manor, which was the new one that came out, and mm-hmm. it mostly sucks. So that's been a bummer. I heard it's boring oh, as fuck. It's super boring. Not at all scary. Honestly, not really much haunting of anything involved. So I don't really know Blame. how we're getting by calling it the haunting of anything. Um, but yeah, so that's been really a bummer. Um, so I guess I'll probably just have to go back to watching like actual scary movies, um, mm-hmm. during spoopy season. Cause this haunting of blind manor has been a real spoop? disappointment. I'm just going to spook myself a little bit. Yeah. Maybe. I remembered one more thing I watched that's oh, actually yeah? pretty good that I think you guys would both like. Oh yeah. It's called the good Lord bird. Oh, is that the new, uh, Ethan Hawke show? Yeah. Uh, he, I, Caught the second episode because uh, Jeff and Hannah had watched the pilot already, and the second episode was awesome. And he is incredible in it. Or like when he appeared on screen, I was like, oh, oh. it was like one of those moments where the character comes barreling into the scene, and you have to like catch up with what's happening. And that's what his entrance in the show was. Ethan Hawke is so good in it, and. I'm excited to watch more. It's on Showtime, uh, so it's a little hard to watch if you don't have Showtime. But so far, it's it's good from the one episode I saw, and I want which, to see which was the second episode. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's I, the only one I've seen. I remembered a thing that I did. Just <gasps> yeah, plus I watched. Uh, it's a documentary called Hurricane of Fire, and it is about the wildfires in Australia. And it oh. Was, mm. uh, it's like uh, testimonials, but one girl stayed to defend her house because, like, her dad had done it before against the fire, and she wore a GoPro helmet. Um, and so some of the footage is like incredible, uh, wow. but also very Yikes. scary. 
Yeah. Uh, what sounds... is it on? Uh, it's through like New York Times Presents, which is on Hulu. So if you type in oh. Hurricane of Fire, it does not pop up. But if you type in New York Times Presents, it's uh, like episode four. Is it just like a short oh. documentary? It's an hour long, yeah. Oh, okay. Because it's a series? No, the New York other Times ones Presents are like, is a series? like different. Every, every one is a documentary. Like every episode's a documentary. Yeah. Got it. Nice. Um, and then the only other thing that I've been up to is I have been watching more of Avatar. Um, James, James Cameron's uh, 2009 masterpiece. <laughs> Just re- really getting ready. I keep hearing all these updates about how <laughs> they're like, you know, I guess uh, Avatar 2 is, like, totally done filming, and they're, like, mm-hmm. almost done filming 3, and then they're just going to do post for a little while. So I've just been, like, really, really getting back into the world of the Na'vi. Um, and so I've been count, spending count. some time. <laughs> some time. <laughs> Take your braid and stick it in an electrical socket. Uh, but, no, I have been watching uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, and Matt saying that show's praises and it has not lived up so far. Although Whatever. the uh, first season finale was pretty dope, so we'll see if it if it gets better. It only gets better in season two. Azula is dope. Okay, fine. I won't say anything more. I'm finished. 